Are you ready to go offside? Because it's time for Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts, and myself, Doug Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here for another episode of Offside Hockey Talk, and we got a special one for you today. Uh, me and James are sitting down with a man who's coached many teams across many sports, including AAA, GTHL, only then it was the MTHL. He's coached men's and boys football, women's hockey, men's hockey, host league select and AAA baseball. He's worked as a demonstrator for hockey schools, including the famous Dr. Yashkish Mushkin, who was a skating coach for the Russian Summit Series team. And there's probably some other teams he's coached that I'm forgetting. The reason we're here to talk with him is to gain some solidly grounded coaching perspective on someone who's from someone who's watched the Maple Leafs since an era where they were consistent contenders for the Stanley Cup and even won more than a few. On top of all that, he just so happens to be my father, Mike Ireland. Thanks for sitting down with us on the show tonight, Dad. Thanks for having me. Um, so something I've asked you a lot of times before is uh, what are some of the biggest differences uh, you see in the actual game of hockey now compared to when the Leafs were winning the Cup? So specifically about like hockey how the hockey game looks and what, what differences you see. The biggest difference I see is that from first line through third line and all sets of defense, back then every guy was fighting for a job because they didn't earn enough money to make a proper living and struggled. Nowadays, they're all making millions of dollars and it doesn't seem to be quite as important to them uh, to win and keep their job as it used to. So do you remember like what some of the salaries would have been, let's say like in the 1960s for some of the players? Yeah, I think $20,000 was a lot of money back then. <laughs> um, so uh, straight, straight into the, the modern Leafs then out, coming out of the old um, Dubas, Babcock, Shanahan are the players. Who do you blame for how this season's going so far? I blame Dubas. He's the guy who got the players. And if he can't get players that have heart, like all players used to have, then he's at fault. It's not the coach's responsibility to put heart into these players. And we've got too many guys playing on this team that are just playing to earn their money and uh, not get hurt so that they can collect the money when the salary comes around. <laughs> James, what do you think about that? Um, I got to respectfully disagree. I really think that it's uh, Dubas put this team together to be a speed and skill type of team. I actually was just having this debate before we went on air with a few other people. Um, you know, Babcock, unfortunately, is not deploying this team the way that it should be and the way that it's built. You look at a player like Tyson Berry, his bread and butter is to be a dwinger, as Craig Button called them, and be able to rover his way into the Ozone and get those points and score points. Unfortunately, he's not being deployed in the way that he should be to allow himself to, I guess, exemplify the style of play he utilized in Vancouver, not Vancouver, in Colorado. That's one example, and you have this guy for a year and Babcock says we're trying to change the way he plays and mold into a different player. You got this player for a year. He is pretty much guaranteed a bona fide rental and that's it. That's not utilizing the player to the strengths and allowing the offense to ride. Another player who he's not deploying properly, I would say is Cody Cece riding top pair minutes and just having a horrendous time trying to keep up with the play and keep with Morgan Riley and read the play and read when Riley dives in just so many different things, even through the power play and the PK. Apparently, he has his fingers all over that. When you brought in these coaches from other teams to run these things, it seems like all the systems and all the failures so far could be laid at the feet of Mike Babcock because he's not allowing these players 
to play to their full strength and their full potential and utilize the skills that have gotten them to the dance this far. And like I said, I use Barry as a prime example. We all know what he's done in his time with Colorado. And this year he's put up two points in, what, 22 games? Something just doesn't jive there. And I feel like Babcock has lost the room. And I also think that he's lost the confidence of GM in Dubas. The only person who seems to be holding on to a strand of anything for him is Brendan Shanahan. So, Dad, do you see kind of any validity to at least part of what James is saying there? I agree with almost everything except says, except that I still put the fault with Dubas, not Babcock. I think uh, the two defensemen, Barry and CeCe, are both going to come along and and show how good they really are, whether Babcock's involved in it or not. These are two good defensemen, and they should give us both, both all the whole team, some uplift. And to me, the problem is not there. The problem to me is with uh, three particular players who uh, <laughs> refuse to get involved in the play, uh, who think that uh, when a player is coming at them that they're supposed to dump the puck to avoid getting checked. As far as I'm concerned, Dubas should take those three guys and trade them for anything they can get and find some <laughs> experienced forwards or experienced players that aren't afraid to stick their nose in and get things happening. And, uh, you know, they can get rid of Nylander, Janssen, and uh, Kapanen any day of the week and find something, and they'll be a better all-round team. So that kind of leads into the next question I was going to ask, which is if you were made GM and head coach of the Leafs, what would you do to write, help write the ship right away? I'm guessing it would be trading those three guys. I'd be trading those three guys immediately. <laughs> and not not any of the rest of them. There, there's a lot of heart there. Kerfoot and Moore, give me two more guys like that to replace those fellas, and we'd be in every single game. They just called one up. His name's Pierre Ingvall. I think yes, they did. pretty excited with that gentleman right there. Yes, I am too, because I think he's a type of player that's got a hard nose and goes after things. He plays for the Marlies, and I've watched them play on, on TV. That's the closest I've gotten to watch him play is with the Marlies, and I really enjoy his style. So something I'm going to ask both of you is, uh, I'll start with my dad. Uh, do you think the season is salvageable at this point? Whoa, well, hold on. I, I, I want a chance to answer the last question first. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Um, you know, you asked your dad what he would do. I would put my coaching hat on, and I would say, you know, you look at the defensive pairings. They've already made changes coming into the practice today. They've moved Tyson Berry down to the bottom pair. They've moved Justin Hall up to the second pair with Muzzin. For me, what I would do is I would drop CeCe to that bottom pair, drive Barry up with Riley because those are two players who are dynamic offensively. You're right. And then things that I would do is <laughs> I would switch around – your offensive units, I would make a familiar line that did you well for the past couple of years, and I would put Hyman back with Nylander and Matthews, and I would allow Tavares to ride with Mikheyev and either a Janssen or a Kapanen because Mikheyev has shown that he has the burst of speed, shown he will drive the net, and shown he can dig out pucks. So he's your workhorse on that line. And then you have your finesse Tapperinner and Kapanen or Janssen. Like you said, they're not going to throw the hits they're not going to take a hit they're not going to do any of those things but if you have them on those lines on a line there with a guy who will do that and a finisher in Tavares you may be able to drive that line but I think you put Hyman back with Nylander and Matthews and you see that line flourish more than it is now you could be right you could be right on that thing and I will say this the Mikhaev is my favorite new player on the Maple Leaf team I said it from the very first time I watched him that this is a kid who's a solid hockey player so that going back to the question that we kind of just almost skipped around is, uh, do you think this season is salvageable? Uh, Dad, I'll start with you. Yes, easily. Yes? Okay, what about you, James? It's not um, all doom and gloom, is it? 
<laughs> isn't. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say it's all doom and gloom, but um, you can look at the tweet that I sent out today and shout out to Craig Button and Adam Wild for jumping in the, the conversation. Um, I listened to the Steve Dangle podcast and they put the mark at, I think it was 37, but it should be 39, 14, and 4 is what the Leafs will have to go to finish this season with 100 points. So it doesn't seem like doom and gloom. It's it's a plausible thing. But you look at that record and the way they're playing, hold on to your underwear because I don't know if it's going to make it through because that is a very, very hard record to obtain. And we know how close it was last year. The Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs battled all year. Bruins took it ahead. And the Montreal Canadiens were nipping at our heels. I think we had 96 points and they had something like 94. or was a little bit closer, but... Those are the things that worry me. And the fact that you can already point out what the record needs to be for this team to win and to get to 100 points, which seems to be the new plateau most teams are shooting for, to make the dance now, it makes me very nervous for this team, especially if they can't all get on the same page and there seems to be a lot of people not on the same page. Um. So, Dad, uh, we talk a lot about the Maple Leafs, about the players not being motiv- motivated to play. Even you just mentioned it a few minutes ago. So I want to know what are some of the challenges that you faced in your coaching career in terms of uh, how to motivate a team, maybe a team you coached that didn't really want to be there or didn't want you coaching them. What can you do and like, what did you do? I had all kinds of teams like that where the kids didn't want to listen to me. <laughs> and I turned it right back over to the rest of the guys on the team, the captains and assistants and said, fellas, get on their cases and tell them they've got to play because whether you like the coach or not, we're stuck with them for the year. And the guys I had as captains and assistants, they all went ahead and they did their jobs. They went to those boys that weren't putting the effort, found out what was bugging them the most, and then we resolved the issue. And in some cases, it was a simple matter of me not playing a kid where he wanted to play. And then when I gave them the opportunity, they became different players. I mean, I'm like any other coach. I lost, I, I lost a lot more championships and playoff games than I ever won, which is normal. But we were involved in things with the uh, with the women's hockey I had for 12 years and my my THL, GTHL, and MTHL. We were involved in playoffs many times. And uh, once the boys got together with uh, with the guys who were reluctant to to uh, to play because either they wanted to be on a better team or they thought I was a crappy coach. And there was <laughs> lots of people like that. You know, the boys got together and straightened them out, not me. Yeah, we saw me and me and my dad saw quite a bit of that with the baseball team we coached last summer. Only we didn't see the second half of what he said, which was the players kind of turning it back on themselves. We didn't have any leadership on the select baseball team that we coached, and it literally just collapsed into nothingness. Yeah. So, James, I'm wondering what your perspective is on sh- the captains uh, shouldering some of the responsibility for how this season's been going. Well, I'll tell you right now, if Morgan Riley was named captain at the beginning of the season, they'd be calling for the C right now off of his chest. But because it's John Tavares and he's a known leader, um, he's giving a little bit more leniency. Um, obviously, there is a click inside that locker room, Doug. We've discussed this before. You know, you look at Freddie Anderson, Morgan Riley, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. They're all buddies on and off the ice. They live in the same building. They go on personal trips during, you know, breaks with the Leafs. You know, and they all come back and and they talk for one another when situations are at hand. But to talk about what your dad said, you know, about, you know, coach bearing down on them, telling this is a coach for the year. You know, unfortunately, they've had the same coach for five years now with the Maple Leafs. And 
with most management and management styles, five years is a shelf life before the message becomes humdrum. And yes, he's come in, he's changed the culture, he's done a bunch of things for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I think Mike Babcock's message has now been lost. And no matter if you have, you know, Wayne Gretzky or Mark Messier leading the squad, if you're not going to buy into what the coach is saying anymore, it doesn't matter who else is trying to pound the drum or beat the drum. It's just not going to come across. And right now, I think these guys just aren't listening anymore. And it's unfortunate because of who Mike Babcock is and all the good things that he's done. Um, but it just seems like that room is done. They've turned the year and they're not turning it back. So for me, I look at the Leafs and what I'm seeing is uh, a lack of spark, a lack of something that makes the team special. Um, there were flashes of that during the like Sundin Coberlet kind of era, at least in my opinion. I mean, I was young at the time, so I might be seeing it a bit through uh, rose-tinted glasses. But uh, Dad, you've told me some of the things that were special about the the '67 Maple Leafs Stanley Cup team, and I was just wondering if you could share some of those with the the show and James right okay. now. The '67 Maple Leafs, uh, they finished where most good coaches. Uh, uh, like in the playoffs, the first place or how many points doesn't matter. Get in the playoffs and go from there. And that's what they did in 67 with with a caliber of player far below the other teams they were playing. But uh, you put two guys in net, uh, Jacques Plante and uh, Bauer, and they just shut down Montreal and shut down everybody else. And then up front you had a, a probably, to me, the best captain the Leafs have ever had, and that was George Armstrong. Uh, he just made everybody work twice as hard as the rest of them because he wasn't as good as the rest of them. But do you look on the ice and you see this this old out guy old guy out there struggling to do his job, and you got to work hard to, to keep up with him. Then this year, uh, you know, we don't have that kind of heart, and that's what bothers me is the lack of heart in some of the players, and it seemed to be infecting some of the other guys. Uh, seeing Tavares smashes his his stick on the the post the other night was really upsetting to me because there's a whole pile of kids watching some guy who's the captain of the Maple Leafs break a $300 stick. And I can see the parents <laughs> holding their eyes saying, holy crap, my kid's going to do that too. <laughs> and Tavares should have taken that stick and conked a few of those guys on the head with it and said, you guys aren't putting the effort in. That's what captains do. Is this the, the worst situation you've seen this team or the Leafs franchise in since 1967 or no? Oh, geez, no. Go back when Ballard was running things and firing people left and right and hiring guys to manage who could hardly even talk hockey. You know, uh, no, it was worse when Ballard was running everything and firing guys. I mean, this is why we lose Lanny McDonald and uh, Daryl Sittler <laughs> and players like that. I mean, that was sad, sad times. Yeah. I love the Leafs, and I, I think that as far as I'm concerned, I don't care if they finish in eighth place, sixth place, or third place. All I care is they get to the playoffs and that they develop the winning attitude when they're getting there on the way there. And I still think they can do it. If Dubas was going to fire Babcock when he fired all of his assistants, that's when he should have fired Babcock too if he's going to. Not now. He wasn't allowed. That's the problem. Uh, you're right. That's And that's right. Uh, because Shanahan probably stepped in and said, we're not paying this guy $25 million to sit on his rear end. <laughs> Well, the last thing in all that, and this is something that I've been bringing up, and I know um, people have talked about it with Dan Bilesma and a few other coaches who were let go and then hired by other teams. Um, Babcock would be a highly coveted coach for some teams. And if we let him go, the other team does have to pick up the price tag. So the Maple Leafs would not be on the hook for that price tag. So, you know, if you let him go and another team wants him, 
it's not so bad. But I guess then the other problem is you have that coach to face six, eight, whatever times a year. So yeah, that's the other side of the coin. But you know, you may be able to get rid of him and eat that price tag. But Dubis wanted to get rid of him, so I give marks to Dubis there because he wanted to make a change, but unfortunately he was unable to enact the change. So we went after the two assistants, which one was one close friend uh, of, of Hillier to Mike Babcock. So, yeah, I, that's and that's part of a problem too, is when uh, you know it used to be that the head coach got to hire his assistants, not the uh, GM. <laughs> he picked his own assistants, just the same as they do in baseball. What uh, what do you think about uh, everybody saying Sheldon Keith? If they fired Mike Babcock, Sheldon Keith is the guy. And I just wanted to know real quick what your thoughts were on Sheldon Keith. If you have any. Uh, no, I don't have any because uh, who knows which other guys are going to get fired between now and when Babcock is. There could be a good coach out there coming <laughs> yeah. besides Keith. It's true. Um, so one last thing before we let you go, Dad. Uh, something that I think would help a lot of people who, you know, maybe haven't been a Leafs fan anywhere near as long as you. Why have you stayed a Maple Leafs fan for the past 52 years since their last Stanley Cup win? What makes you want to to keep rooting for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I love my city, and I, they represent Toronto. The same as the Blue Jays, represent Toronto. I don't watch basketball. I don't like basketball, but I like the Raptors, and I'm glad they can win. The same with the Argonauts. I, mind you, I used to go to all the Argo games too. But you know what? I love Toronto. They represent Toronto, and that's my team. That's it. That's just, that's dead simple. I don't think I can get any clearer than that. Uh, Dad, Mr. Mike Ireland, I want to thank you for coming on Offside Hockey Talk. It was a pleasure talking with you. Uh, James, you got anything left before we let him go? No, it was a pleasure to speak with you, sir, and look forward to talking to you in the future on positive leaf notes going forward in the future. I certainly hope there's some positive coming, but I I, I know there can be. We're hoping we can have him back on to do something that we're going to call uh, Mike's Minute. Basically, we're going to give him 60 seconds to just go off on whatever he feels like. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming on once again, Dad. It was a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, make sure, uh, make sure you tune in for the next Offside Talk uh, where we let him go off for 60 seconds on whatever topic he wants. They said I have to be nice sometimes too, though. <laughs> All right. Thanks, James. Thanks, Doug. So that was Mike Ireland, uh, my father. Uh, a guy of, of storied experience. He's been around uh, coaching in hockey for like 50, 60 years almost. Um, you really can't get uh, much more experience than that. We want to thank him for coming on the show. We also want to thank our sponsor, Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. Visit them at msfi.ca. And also make sure you check out leafshub.com for all your Toronto Maple Leafs news and notes.